0: 34 verses 6 to 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And lastly, from the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Lord our great God, we come to you and ask that you would illuminate your word this morning that we may discover the beauty of who you are and that we be transformed in the process. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, church is always a blessing to open the word of God together, and we've read from three passages this morning, which is showing that we're not going through Philippians this morning. We will continue to work our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians, but. Every month in, over the course of 2020, we're gonna do another series on the side of that uh, that will complement our studies. And that is a study on the doctrines or the essential teachings of the Christian faith. The, the beliefs that are taught in the scriptures about the faith that we must hold on to and preserve for the sake of healthy discipleship, as well as for a faithful proclamation of the truth. And now perhaps some of you were thinking this morning, well, that sounds awfully dry. Doctrine. But I want to encourage you, the scripture has much to say about studying doctrine and protecting doctrine. It's not only important for healthy discipleship, but the Apostle Paul writes in first and second Timothy that in the days between Christ and ascension and second coming there will be false teaching there will be false practices and beliefs that will creep even into the church and so this is a healthy study and important for the health of the church our own discipleship and our witness And so, it will be taking place over 2020 once a month as we go through the essential teachings of the faith and last month reverend john mcintyre kicked off our series it was a snowy month and maybe some of you weren't able to make it out that sunday but he began by reminding us that the ultimate belief which we uphold and preserve is that the scriptures are the authoritative word of God. It all starts with the fact that these 66 books of the Old and New Testament, though written by men, are ultimately not just a book by men, but inspired by the spirit of God. I've had a conversation with, well, I didn't really have the conversation. Our family was having a conversation with their two-year-old nephew. The other day, and they asked him, who wrote the Bible, Thomas? And in his two-year-old voice, he said, chosen men inspired by the Spirit. (laughs) So parents, don't you dare underestimate the power of teaching your kids the Word of God from a young age. But that's the truth. Written by men over a course of many generations and many cultures, but every single book of the Bible inspired by the Spirit of God, so that when we read this book, we're not just reading an account of historical documents written by men, but God himself is speaking to us. wonderful thing that's why it's called the holy bible the book which is set apart from all other books because it is god's word given to us and, and so why is that the first doctrine that we have to preserve and uphold what well, all starts with the scriptures this is our source of revelation about everything so if this isn't true then none of it is true And so we live in a culture and an age where the word of God is being questioned more than ever, even in church circles, about what's really the Bible, what really applies, yada, yada, yada. we, as the people of God, if we're going to be sound doctrinally and healthy disciples, must never waver on the fact that this book, as we have received it, is God's word, period. And we uphold and we proclaim it. And we take it very seriously. And it's not our job and our responsibility to defend its authority. Scripture itself will defend its authority. You don't have to convince your neighbor down the road that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. That's not your responsibility. The Holy Spirit, as the word of God is preached, will prove its authority as he works. And he opens ears and eyes to see and behold. And so with a reminder of that important purpose of Scripture, that it is God's Word given to mankind to produce faith in Jesus Christ and to equip the church for discipleship, therefore it is a reliable source for every doctrine that we are going to study. It is without error, it is without fault, it is inerrant, it is infallible, and we uphold that. And so coming to the next doctrine, which flows at the authoritative Word of God, we find ourselves first confronted with the doctrine of God. Reformer John Calvin said, after the authority of Scripture, the first thing that the Scriptures confront us on is with the reality that there is a God who exists, who is sovereign over all things, and is to be exalted by all things. There is a God who exists, who is sovereign over all things, and is to be exalted as God by all things. And so immediately, the Scriptures, revealing that there is a God, exposes and rebukes the reality of atheism. How many people do you know that claim to be atheists don't believe in God? I've had a few conversations, even in my own office, with people that think you're absolutely foolish for thinking that God exists. Well, the Scriptures confront and expose atheism as foolishness, The fool says in their heart, there is no God. I had a pastor who joked around, he said the atheists want a holiday, it's April 1st, April Fool's Day. Because the scriptures, as God works and speaks, confronts the fact that atheism, even though people have all the arguments they have and all the evidence they have that there is no God, the scriptures confront and expose it as being foolish. And the other thing that scriptures confront as the one true God is revealed is the reality of false worship. The scriptures testify to the fact there are things in our world that point to the fact that there is a God. Our inner conscience, our morality of right and wrong, the design of creation itself as you go out in the mighty White Lake Mountains and look up at the sky and see the beauty of it all points to the fact that there is a God, but the reality is because of sin, they don't point to who the real God actually is. And so God has given us the scriptures to not only combat atheism, but to reveal who the one true God truly is and to call people away from false worship bowing down to many other different kinds of gods, whether it's different religions or it's materialism, whatever it may be, the scriptures combat atheism and call us away from false worship to the one true God. We as the people of God do not believe that our God is another God on the shelf in our world, it's just not, not just another religion that's offered. The scriptures reveal there is only one God True God, and we uphold that. So it combats atheism, it combats false worship. And the scriptures now reveal to us who that one true God is. And so it's important to know when it comes to the scriptures and upholding the doctrine of God, of who he is, how much about God can we actually know? Well, first of all, Psalm 147 verse 5, and even Psalm 143 talks about how his power, his the knowledge of God is beyond understanding. So we don't remind ourselves about who God is because we think we can put him in a box and finally get a grasp on everything about who he is. My professor in seminary said, you, are, you have come to get a master of divinity, but you'll never master the divine. And that's immediately humbling, isn't that? When it comes to the one true God who exists above all things and is to be exalted as God by all things, there is a reality that he is so great and so majestic that we cannot possibly understand everything about him. Even on the other side of eternity. Unsearchable. Unsearchable. So as I sat this week working on this sermon, going, What have I got myself into? Because there's no way this message will ever convey half of the glory of God. Because there's so many things that we cannot possibly acknowledge or even dream or imagine his greatness is so far beyond us. But we can know God despite that because he has revealed himself to us. But even the things that he has revealed to us in 1 Corinthians, it says we only know them in part. So what he's revealed to us in the word of God, even now we only know them in part, meaning it is a lifelong journey of growing and discovering who God is. This is why we have to study the word of God and be dedicated to the scriptures, because he has revealed himself for us to know him, but we don't fully know him until we finally become part of his presence in the kingdom of God. And so we grow and we grow and we grow and we learn. So there's some things we can't know, the things that we have been given, it's a lifelong journey. And so that's just a a little summary to start off as we look at a few things from the word of God that we do know about him. That combats atheism, that calls away from false gods, that deals with the issue of the fact that there are things we cannot possibly know, and what we can know, it's going to take a lifelong journey of studying and growing deeper. So with that said, we're going to focus on God's being, character, and actions. God's being. The first thing, if you have a sermon sheet, I hope, even if you don't write stuff down, I hope you at least take one home, because there are tons of scriptures on this to help you. The first thing about God that the scripture reveals is that he is spirit- And he is invisible. John 4, 24, God is spirit. The scriptures reveal that the one true God of heaven and earth, he is spirit. He's not material. People in our world today are bowing down to all kinds of material things. You can see idols as you go into another temple or whatever it may be. If you go even into a, a foreign food restaurant and you see the different idols even in the kitchen. People bowing down to material things. Maybe it's materialism, maybe it's their car, maybe it's money, maybe it's their house, whatever it may be. But the one true God whom we were created to know and worship is not material. He is spirit and he is not seen. Now, right away, that leads us to an interesting question. Well, if God is spirit and invisible, then how do we make sense of the physical incarnate body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to get to that. And you think maybe that's an important question just for pastors or or missionaries or whoever it may be. But that's an important question for all the church to answer. Because that's something that's going to be thrown your way in the coffee shop. How do we make sense that Jesus is actually God of God himself and the scriptures is invisible and Spirit. One of the reasons why in the Ten Commandments God forbid the, the making of any images of him was because no one even knew what he looked like to make it. There was no possible recreation that could take place to truly capture who he was. And so here's the, the, the truth, church. God is spirit. He is invisible. Even this morning as we gather, we see one another. You see me, I see you, we see the building that's around us, but the wonderful truth is that in our midst is the one true God who is spirit. We cannot see him, but he's here. And so even though the world may go around and say, where is your God? A bunch of crazy Christians gathering in a church building, singing a bunch of songs to some God. Well, one of the main things revealed in the word of God is, yes, we can't see him, but he exists. But he exists. So spirit and invisible. The next thing is he is eternal and immortal. God has never been without beginning or end. Ever had the question, maybe from your kids or grandchildren, uh, if we came from God, then where did God come from? Who created God? Well, the scriptures revealed the wonderful truth that God has never been without a beginning or an end. He's the Alpha and He's the Omega. As we have sung this morning, age to age He stands. The Ancient of Days, from before the beginning of time, from everlasting to everlasting. This is the significance of His name I Am. He's always there. We've heard the name I am. We've sung about the name I am. But what's the significance of it? He always exists. He never will not exist. There's no one who can destroy him. So he is invisible. He is spirit. He is eternal. And he is immortal. I'm just praying that as we think about these things biblically, that if we grasp... Who it is that is truly our God and who it is that is truly in our midst this morning that we are humbled. The one who is without beginning or end over every day of history. And he is the next he is self-sufficient and blessed. Blessed to be blessed as the Most High God, but blessed also as in He is happy, He is self-sufficient. The scriptures teach that God Himself doesn't need external things outside of Him for Him to have joy or happiness. He is perfectly content in Himself and Himself alone. He doesn't need things on the outside for joy. He is blessed and happy in Himself And that's an important truth that we should remind ourselves about from the word of God. Why? Because this means that God did not have to create us to be happy in himself. Well, God created us because he needed us. Wrong. Doesn't need us. Doesn't need us. Your very existence It's based upon the grace of God alone. Not just your redemption, but your existence. The fact that you have a body, a nose, ears, you can taste food and eat it and enjoy it, all these things, it's all a gift of God. He doesn't need any one of us. But yet, the wonder of the grace that he does create, not only that, but he does save The next thing the scriptures teach is that God's being, he is perfectly beautiful, most glorious, and he is perfect. There is none that is more beautiful, there is none that is more attractive, without fault of any kind, none more worthy of honor and praise, There's so many things in our world, church, that we think are beautiful, right? Whether it's the fact that snow is melting or people's houses. The scriptures remind us that there is nothing more beautiful, nothing more perfect, nothing more worthy of honor and praise than God. So as the church, we gather and we sing songs like, Lord, you are more beautiful than silver. You are more precious than gold, fairest Lord Jesus. Because there's none more beautiful, I see the most beautiful sunset ever. And yet, as the people of God, because of the scriptures, we can say, yet, but God, you are even more beautiful than this. And you are the one that my heart should be adoring as the most glorious, most perfect, most beautiful. And all these things are revealed about God in the word of God. The next thing is that he is omnipresent, or that means that he is everywhere. God's presence is everywhere. Not that he is in everything, like pantheism, but he is present everywhere. You cannot hide from him. You go to the grocery store? He's there. You go to Quebec? He's there. Wherever you go, even if you try to hide, run, you think you can't see something, he's everywhere. Not only is he everywhere and all present, but he is all-knowing, he is omniscient. God knows everything, about everything, about everyone, before they even think it. Psalm 139, you know the thoughts I think before I even think them. He knows what you're going to think tomorrow. He knows what you're going to think next year. He is all-knowing. He knows everything before it happens. So he's all present. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do. He's the highest form of power that has ever and will ever exist. Now, that means... There are things that God can't do. He can't sin. So when the Spirit of God is leading us, he can't lead us into anything that's not God's will. That's what the Scriptures say. Don't trust in presidents. Don't trust in princes. Don't put your trust in any human thing. Put it in the one who is all-powerful, who can do may more than we ask or imagine. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. The next thing, he is triune. He's three persons, yet one. The Trinity. Deuteronomy 6, there is one God. But the scriptures teach us that there are three persons. Distinct persons. Who have different roles and relationships to one another, yet who are all equally God. Not three gods, but one God. And each person not coming together to make God, but each person fully being God. Uh, the Father is a third God. No, he is fully God. The Son is fully God. And the Holy Spirit is fully God. And the Trinity never appears in the scriptures. You may have some people come up to you and say, yeah, this Trinity business, not, the word's not actually not in the Bible, is it, church? Well, it's not. But the scriptures teach it in 2 Corinthians 13, Matthew 28, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even in the Old Testament, God says, let us make mankind in our image. And there's people in our world that say that the Trinity is just a giant contradiction. Maybe you have Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door and knock on the door and say, well, the Trinity is a bunch of nonsense, doesn't make any sense. Well, here's the truth, church. Welcome to the greatness of God. Three distinct persons, all equally being God, relating to one another, Yet, all being one God. We will never fully grasp the greatness of that, but we know it's true. We know it's true. Because the Word of God has revealed it to us, and we accept it as the truth. It doesn't always make sense to us, but it's true. And when it comes to the Trinity, the next thing is that we receive the Trinity as it has been revealed: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe you've come or heard from a few people that maybe in churches nowadays you're hearing a talk about Mother God. Well, no. Why? Not because we're against mothers. But because it has been revealed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and therefore, as God has ordained and revealed it, we do not change it. I was at a service once that began with, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my mother. Now, biblically, it's wrong. And you may say, Pastor, a lot of this stuff is just, is it really this important that we remind ourselves of this truth? Yeah. Because God has designed us to know him and to be revealed and to understand him. And this is who he's revealed himself as. And so as his people, we are to know this and to cling to this truth the Trinity being part of that. The next thing about is not just his being, but his character. We've seen the scriptures, and the scriptures are given to you that he is the source of truth. He is the source of wisdom. He is the source of goodness. He is the source of love. He is the source of holiness. He is a source of justice. So truth, rightness, reality of what's actually real and what's actually true. Wisdom, goodness of what it means to live and experience a good life. Love, what love actually looks like. Holiness. Right living, justice against evil, all of these things are rooted in God and God alone. He is a source of all moral character. Now, I joined the ethics board at the hospital last year, and already I can tell it's going to be an interesting experience. As ethicists come in and talk about what's ethical, and I've been dying to in the middle of the meeting, but I haven't got there yet, to be like, uh, excuse me. But when you say what is ethical or what is not ethical, what actually is the source of your ethics? What determines what's right and wrong? Because in most cases, people that would say, well, you know, if we don't believe in God, if we don't believe in God, then where do ethics come from? Where do morals come from? Well, you know, there's right and there's wrong. And for some people, certain things are right other things people are wrong. And it's a big, giant contradiction. Welcome to the mess. And there's an ethics board about it. And it's not just there; it's everywhere. Ethics are affecting educational systems. They're affecting workplaces. But here's the truth: If you want true moral character and ethics, it is found in God and God alone. Amen. He is the one who is the source of what's right of what's wise, of what's good, of what love looks like, of what's right living, of what true justice looks like. You don't look to a prime minister. You don't look to a president. You don't look to your boss. You look to the God of heaven and earth because it is rooted in him alone. That's why if we have issues when it comes to issues of euthanasia or assisted suicide and we say no and people say, no, you're not loving, you're not just, you're not kind. Well, actually, if we are walking in line with the one who was the source of it all, then we actually are walking in the right way. And so we cling to that and we uphold that. So his being, his character, his actions. His actions. What does God do? Well, there's two dominant things in this scripture. First of all, he is the creator. Genesis, Colossians, he is the creator of all things. All things exist because of God. You know a lot of people in our world today that say we're here by mere chance, don't we? Well, it just happened. Looked around and... We see this wonderful Ottawa Valley, and of course, it just all came to be just a random chance. Random chance that we have this body that functions in the way that it does, that if you cut yourself, and it forms and heals and heals itself, and a random chance that we would have this opportunity to procreate and, and bring forth new life, and see these little kids walk around and spit out of their mouth, and, all that kind of stuff is fun and enjoyable to watch that was also part of the family weekend this past weekend the six month year old all random chance except the scriptures say no God has created and he's not just a God who creates and steps back from creation but all things were made by him and for him All creation was made to be in relationship with him. He's not just a God who creates and steps back and sits in the heavens above and just watches and see how things are going. But you were created to be in relationship with him. To know him. Not just know about him, but to know him. And the wonderful thing about creation is it wasn't just God. But it was the Trinity as revealed in God. It was the Father who created. It was the Son who created. It was the Spirit who created. They are all actively involved in this wonderful, beautiful creation. They all have roles to play. And so when we praise God, our Creator, biblically, we don't just praise God generally, but we praise the Trinity, the Father, the Son, by whom all things were made and for whom they were made, the Spirit who hovers over the waters. We praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing about the Scriptures. He's not just a God who has created us, but He's a God who sustains creation. Hebrews 1, He sustains creation by the power of His Word. Do you know what that means? Every single day, this universe, every part, invisible, invisible, is held together because God's sustaining Word that created continues to hold it together if god's sustaining word was not there we would not have woke up this morning there would be nothing but god amazing amazing So no matter how tough your day is, church, no matter what you're going through, a really good prayer if we're thinking about the doctrine of God is, God, this day may not be going the way I would like it to, but boy, I'm thankful that this morning your sustaining word is working because by your grace I woke up and there is a day. There is breath. There is life. So he's the creator who creates and sustains. And the wonderful truth that we celebrate lastly is he is the redeemer. That though sin comes in and makes things go astray, he makes all things new and restores all things, ridding of evil, judging everything that stands against him. And he chooses to save a people unto himself through Christ. And, of course, that redeeming work is, once again, the Trinity. The Father sends the Son. The Son purchases the freedom. The Spirit brings it to the church. And so we, once again, as we think about Him as Redeemer, we don't just praise God, but we praise the Father. We praise the Son. We praise the Spirit. We all have a role in the great salvation. Now, that's a fly-through survey. And I've given you the sermon sheets so you can go home and look up these passages for yourself. But here is the truth. These are important truths about God revealed to us. That if we're going to know him as he has revealed himself to us, we do take them seriously. We do get into the word of God and remind ourselves of who he is because when we think about everything that God is, he is invisible, he is spirit, he is eternal, he is immortal, he is self-sufficient, he is blessed, he is all-powerful, he is all-present, he is all-knowing. He is the most beautiful, the most glorious, the perfect. He is the source of all moral character and behavior. He is the one who is responsible for all of creation. And not just creating it, but sustaining it. And not only that, he is the one who makes all things new, is making all things new, even today. And he's continuing to call the church unto himself as he does that. Church, the point of this study is not just to give you a bunch of facts about God. But for us, by this power of the Spirit within us, to awaken us up to the greatness of who He is so that when we think about who He is, all we can do is say how great, how amazing, how wonderful, how holy, how majestic, how beautiful. And you are the one who is my God. You are the one who has called me out of darkness. And what a marvelous truth that is. Thank you, God, for that revelation of yourself. Thank you that you have done this because I didn't deserve this. We didn't need to do this, but we are here because there is a God who exists above all things to be exalted by all things. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called out and empowered by the spirit to make him known. So if we're going to make him known. We better know who he is. So let's pray for the Spirit to Give us that empowerment, that conviction. And may he continues to lead us into sound doctrine and sound discipleship. So let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for your revelation of yourself. First of all, we acknowledge that there are such things that we will never understand. You are so far beyond us. You are so great. You are so holy, and so we humbly come. But Lord, we are thankful for the revelation of yourself. We're thankful for all that you are for your your infinite glory, for your wonderful truth, for your creating and redeeming work. And we just say how great is our God. We declare your praise. We exalt you. We ask that you allow us to continue to cling to these truths, that we may be healthy disciples and healthy agents of the gospel as we make you known. So continue to help us reflect upon you. Let us delight in you and enjoy you and walk into the truth you have given to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.